What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Millionaire Voices, episode number eight. Today, I have the honor to interview Jack DeLosa, the founder of The Entourage, one of the biggest entrepreneur networks in Australia. So Jack, it is an honor, man, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Danny. Really good to be here, mate. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's really an inspiration that I feel like I manifested you in uh, speaking to me right now because I, I really <laughs> wanted to, to learn from you because I aspired to be in the position you are one day. You know, the viewers mm. here really are hungry entrepreneurs that want to learn from greats. And, and I consider you one of them from what I'm learning about you through the internet. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jack DeLosa and where you're from and we'll go from there. Awesome, man. Thank you. So, um, you know, I suppose my business career started at a very young age, probably when I was about uh, five or six years of age, really. Um, my parents ran a not-for-profit organization called Breaking the Cycle. And so they would take long-term unemployed youth was the sort of technical term, I suppose. A, a more accurate term would be youth that were really at risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'd take them off the streets or out of jail and they'd put them through a three-month training program essentially around life skills and employability skills and then they'd facilitate them into employment and so they were the most successful uh, facilitator of employment for youth at risk in the country and so that's the environment I grew up in right from let's say six to I don't know probably 10 11 uh, mum was the head trainer and dad was the managing director and so I'd, I'd, I'd literally wag school to sit inside mum's classrooms and I'd be learning about personal development and mindset and management and leadership and employment and, and you know, uh, employable skills uh, from a very young age. Um, I mean, when I was around 11 or 12, breaking the cycle was... Uh, the government essentially restructured the way they issued capital out to not-for-profits, breaking the cycle was unsuccessful under the new regime. And so the organization collapsed. And I think that's where I get my commercial side from, right? Breaking the cycle as a movement and as an organization taught me that the world needs changing and that the world is changeable. The collapse of breaking the cycle taught me that you better be profitable and sustainable on your own two feet or your destiny uh, lies in the hands of somebody else, and, and if that somebody else is the government, then that's that's, a, that's really not a good position to be in. So, as I've since learned in some of my own businesses, so that actually uh, learned again, I should say. Go that, on. That actually brought me to a point where you said that I'm, I'm just so curious. So, you're growing up in Australia during this time in, in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah, and the economy. That's. A capital it was capitalistic correct but it, it was it, it was only certain amount of i mean how you're explaining it is that the wealth was proportionate not proportionate at that time with the middle class and whatnot no so it's it, um, definitely uh australia is a capitalist country absolutely um no so breaking the cycle were a not-for-profit organization right so like a charity, if you like, what do you guys call them in the US? Yeah, a nonprofit or charity. Not, yeah, yeah, right, right. It's, it's, it was a nonprofit charity. And, and so what that meant is they were reliant on, you know, a small amount of their funding came from corporates, corporate mm -hmm. donations, but the majority of the funding came from the government. And the government restructured the way they issued capital to nonprofits. 
uh, and under the new regime, breaking the cycle were unsuccessful to, to continue receiving funding from the government, uh, which made it highly unsustainable, and so they had to close the doors. Mm. That's interesting. So, you know, from that point on, I mean, was that then your parents went through a challenging time, you're saying, after that, and, and you saw that, or they just pivoted and, and, and moved on? What, what occurred in your yeah, life? No, yeah, you know, you're right. They did go through challenging times, and we went through challenging times as a family. We, we even had a couple of, you know, people, a couple of the young adults from Breaking the Cycle that were living with us that sort of became like my brother and sister. Wow. Uh, so it was a whole, you know, Breaking the Cycle was more than an organization for us. It was kind of the whole lifestyle and the ethos in, in which we which we grew up and and as I was saying when it collapsed I think that's where I got my commercial side from because I felt a great injustice at kind of like well who who decided that capital should be um, you know allocated elsewhere what's a better sort of cause or meaningful way to allocate capital than this um, so I, I, I felt a huge sense of injustice I also felt a huge hunger to build scalable and sustainable organizations that were profitable and scalable in and of themselves. And so Breaking the Cycle was really my grounding to build great companies that are profitable and scalable uh, such that they can make an impact, but do so in a way where our destiny doesn't lie in the hands of others. Ooh, that's such such great wisdom. I appreciate you saying that to, to everybody listening because you, you said such key words as an entrepreneur. We're going to dive into that, into scalability and profitability and, and whatnot while making impact. My question to you is, before we get into all, you running an amazing organization that I want to know about, how old were you at this time when you're making these type, this ideology is coming and these, this why and this hunger is, is coming to fruition for you? I, I was six when we started breaking the cycle, and I think I was about ten or eleven when when it collapsed. Okay. So it was quite formative years. Did you end up going to one of the universities, like college? Yeah. So I, yeah. So I I, I did the high school thing, and I, I did go to university. I was doing com law at university, but I, but I dropped out after three months to go and start my own business. <laughs> That's that's actually what I was reading about, you know, at that point. So, was your first venture uh, venture uh, capital investing investing in into companies and whatnot? Because I saw you co-founded a company early on. That wasn't my that wasn't my first company. That was uh, that was my third or my fourth. That was a company called MBE Group. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we would do at MBE Group was essentially help small to medium sized businesses raise money from investors buy businesses uh, and build value to exit their own business. And so MBE it was my third or fourth company, but it was my first really successful company, I suppose. It gave me a financial foundation and a credibility foundation and a profile foundation and um, net, a, a really great network. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at MBE, we helped our clients raise over $300 million over a few years. We were one of Australia's fastest growing companies. And I would have been like, I don't know, 22, 23 at that point. So, um, wow, that was that was the company that precursed the entourage, which is which is the main business I've been driving for the last eleven years. Oh wow, I'm so excited to talk about that with you, the entourage. It it really motivated me, and when I saw you on the IG live with Gerard Adams, and saw the wisdom you were speaking, 
One thing you spoke about and we'll talk about is is something about leadership versus management. And you align so much with my values of the difference of that. And that's what I think gravitated me to like, oh, this person knows something. Then when you do the research and learn about you and figure you built this huge organization, and I even want to read it because it was it was so powerful. I want to say it out loud is it says you're changing education for entrepreneurs and you could be Australia's largest and most disruptive educational institution for entrepreneurs. I mean, that's a big claim, but you really have spent this a decade creating this type of, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'm so curious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are Australia's largest um, business coaching and training institution. you know, so I started the entourage in 2010 and it was really started out of extreme dissatisfaction and extreme inspiration. The dissatisfaction comes from, you know, I believe entrepreneurs and innovators are so pivotal to our societies and to our cultures. And what I mean by that is if you like everything that is made by a human is made by an entrepreneur and innovator and their team. Right. And so if you look around the rooms that we're sitting in, whether it's the couch, whether it's the microphones, whether it's the posters, whether it's the cameras, whether it's the microphones we're talking into or the buildings in which we are currently sitting. It was all all brought to the world by an entrepreneur and innovator and their team. And so, you know, entrepreneurship moves the world forward. Corporates don't innovate. They buy innovation and they often kill it. Governments don't innovate. They regulate innovation and often they don't do a very good job of it. Um, It's entrepreneurs and innovators that drive the world forward. And it, it, I particularly back then, but still today, I I was and am incredibly dissatisfied at how little we do as a culture, particularly through traditional education, but more broadly than that these days, how little we do to enable and support and inspire more entrepreneurs and innovators to think outside of the traditional path. Mm -hmm. And so that was the dissatisfied sort of component of starting the entourage. The inspiration was I mean, by that point, as I said earlier, I'd sort of run three or four businesses. Um, I had a really good network, particularly here in Australia, with some of Australia's best entrepreneurs. And I, it was quite clear to me that the more successful an entrepreneur became, the more they actually wanted to give back and support and mm. mentor entrepreneurs that were still on the up. Um, and so it was quite clear to me that business owners that were early on in their journey, if I could connect them with great entrepreneurs with being there, done that experience, that was going to be an incredibly impactful experience for them. Uh, and it was going to accelerate their growth. It was going to enable them to build a business that was operationally sound. Uh, and it was going to enable them to achieve the, the life, the impact that they were setting out to achieve. And so that's the premise upon which we started the entourage 11 years ago. You know, today we've got a movement of uh, 500,000 small to medium sized businesses all over the world. Um, and essentially the people that come to the entourage are, you know, the, the the very capable business owners that are very good at what they do. So, you know, they're an accountant and they're a really good accountant or they're a chiropractor and they're a really good chiropractor or they're a personal trainer or they've got a tech company and they're really good at building tech or they've got a consulting company or they've got an e-com company and they're good at doing what they do. They come to the entourage to determine how do I build a commercially scalable business model around what I do mm. uh, such that I can accelerate profitable growth, build something that's that's um, scalable uh, and ultimately build something, 
you know, that's, that's in line with the vision of what I see for it. That's so powerful and so needed because, you know, mm. I've been an entrepreneur since 2013, probably before that, but, you know, not really stepping into the real world, I would call it. And yeah, you really understand that the... Do you guys go through, and my question is like the five pillars of business. You're looking at, for example, and not in any specific order, sales, marketing, finance, operations, and and legal. Product. Yeah. Product, right? Right. Product or service. Is that the approach that you guys take? You kind of like map out for each person, like you said, this is their business, and then you create a blueprint with all those departments and then fill in the gaps? How do you, How do you guys approach it? Mm. Well, it, each business has six elements, right? And it's it's really important to understand this because when you're a business owner and you're in a business, it can feel like all you're ever doing is running, 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 running. And particularly when you're in startup mode, it's like just run faster, just run faster, just run faster, just do more, just do more, just do more. Mm -hmm. It's a very unsustainable approach to approach your business. If you don't build the skills of how do I build an ecosystem that can not only operate but grow sustainably without me driving it every day, or where I'm not the bottleneck of the ecosystem's output or, or production, then you're always just going to be running yourself into the ground. And often it takes entrepreneurs 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years to learn this, and some never learn. Some just keep working 60, 70, 80 hour a week their entire life. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not a good recipe to building a meaningful business. It's definitely not a good recipe to building a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And so what we encourage entrepreneurs is, is, is come up out of the details, stop being the person doing everything, start being the person leading everything, start being the person shaping everything. So it's like stop being the technician, start being the architect. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to be the architect, you need to be architecting through the six elements, right? Every business has six elements. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're B2B, B2C, online, offline, every business has six elements. And so it's through these six elements through which we um, uh do our strategic plans. It's mm -hmm. through these six elements through which we build team. It's through these six elements through which we pivot. It's through these six elements through which we manage performance. It's through these six elements through which we uh, recruit. It's through these six elements, literally, whenever we strategize or come back to strategy, we mm -hmm. think through every move through these six elements. Now, and so the six elements, no, actually, you mentioned five of them earlier. Yeah, keep is, going. Uh, marketing, so mm -hmm. going out into the world and generating interest and attention. That interest and attention then walks through the door, often metaphorically. Uh, at that point, it's our job to turn that interest and attention into a paid customer. So we call that sales. We've marketed it. We've sold it. What do we then need to do? We then need to deliver it. So the third element is product development and delivery. And I say product inclusive of service-based business. Most of my businesses are service-based businesses. I still call it product because even if you've got a service-based business, you should view it, view the service as a product, yes. modularize it, bottle its magic such that you can scale it. Fourth element becomes increasingly important as you go up the growth curve, let's say between seven and eight figures, that's uh, operations, the internal workings of the business. Mm. Uh, the fifth element, last thing we need to do is count and manage the money. And then the sixth element is the element that brings those first five functions to life, which is people. And some of this element where our culture, our leadership, our management, our ethos, our vision, mission, and values uh, all lie. So uh, if if we can encourage entrepreneurs to think through those six elements, just by just by thinking through that framework, they're going to become a more well-rounded CEO and entrepreneur because they're now thinking about their business holistically rather than in a lopsided fashion, which is what most business owners do. I gotta have to have so many sound bites of that, Jack, because 
<laughs> that is a strong, high-performance company approach. And I'm someone who's built uh, over nine figures. And everything you just said, that's why I really align with you, is just so spot on. And one thing I want to bring up is, I want to ask you, budget. It, all those come with a, a price. Is it that, do you put that as the overall understanding first and then everything you just said? So, as I said, the fifth element is finance, and I'd put, a, you know, it's certainly a forecast is the is the kind of overarching instrument. There. Okay, so it's I within think, the budget. It's with it. You would find that out. I'm sorry. You would find that out during approaching that pillar. You would find out where you're at with all the functionalities of your money to start with, because because they people usually run out of cash flow when they start businesses without when they run like how you were saying without just going and, and figuring it out later. Sometimes it, it depends what stage you're at. Okay. Right. So uh, <laughs> I was talking to an Australian journalist the other week and he was saying that he did a master's in entrepreneurship and before they start, you know, what the, what the university had them do before they start was like uh, build out, you know, like 120 page business plan, have financial forecast, have a valuation, like a certified valuate. Like it was just crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and he, he was kind of looking back on it with um, a huge amount of disregard for the process that they forced them to go through before the business had even started. So I think from zero to 100K annual revenue, right? If we go back to, you know, the, the early days, the, the very the seed beginnings, zero to 100K, you want to be focusing on product market fit. Do we have something that people love? Mm -hmm. Let's say 100K to a million, you really want to be focused on sales and marketing, right? Mm -hmm. We're still going to be iterating and evolving our product market fit. Do we have something that people love? Are we significantly better than the other competitors in our market? Um, but we're, we, we need to be our go-to-market strategy, sales and marketing, mm. needs to be very aggressive. And generally speaking, businesses between 100K and a mil don't spend anywhere near enough time on sales and marketing. It's around that million, maybe two million mark, where financial forecasting and making financially informed decisions becomes more important. I'm not saying it's not important prior to that. I'm just saying it's certainly probably not you know, like if you're doing 300k a year, you, like you want to have an accurate PL, you want to have an accurate balance sheet, you want to be looking at it monthly, and you want to know what the hell's going on. Yeah. You want to know that you're not running out of cash anytime soon. But but when you're doing three or four million, you, your financial reporting needs to be significantly more sophisticated, uh, and your handle on the cash needs to be significantly more sophisticated as well. So mm. uh, it's, it's 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 stage and context dependent. Uh, however, yes, having a forecast, particularly when you start doing over a million dollars, is 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 incredibly useful. And I'll just I'll just add one other point to that, Danny. The forecast thing, there's a huge de-risking component to it, right? Which is, I think, the position you're coming from, which is also the position I come from with regards to forecasting. There's also just inherent value in the upside of having a forecast. Hmm. And the reason for that. Is if, if, if a business owner wants to forecast their business, you know, let's say let's say we want to develop a 12-month rolling forecast. So each 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 quarter we ensure that you know we've got a we've got a really meaningful PL balance sheet and cash forecast for the next 12 months. What that's gonna force you to do on the upside, so not even just risk mitigation at this point, on the upside, it's gonna force you to think through, well, how much, let's call it net profit before tax do we want to generate? Okay, if we want to generate that kind of NPBT, how much revenue do we need to generate? Okay, if we want to generate that much revenue, how much sales do we need to make month on month for the next 12 months? Okay, if we want to generate those sales for the next 12 months, 
uh, how many leads do we need to be generating each month and how we're going to be generating those leads. And now we're going to marketing and sales. And then, okay, well, if we're generating the amount of leads in marketing, if we're making those amount of sales in, in um, sales, uh, how many new customers are we going to be onboarding? And, and we're adding them to our existing customers. So what's our total cumulative customer base each month over the next 12 months? Okay, well, if we're doing that in marketing, we're doing that in sales, we're doing that in product, from an operational standpoint, if we go to the fourth element, what do we need operationally in order to support those activities, right? Now, if we're doing all of those things and all of those four elements and combine all of that, including the people that we're going to need to do it into a financial forecast, well, now you know your business. And you don't just think you know your business in a kind of intuitive way. You actually categorically know your business. Now, of course, you know, if we're tying expenses into that forecast, like, okay, we're going to recruit someone at this point, we're going to recruit five people at this point, whatever it might be then the moves that we're going to be making are pinned to revenue and cash flow performance. So so it's not that you, you set the forecast and it's always going to happen to plan. You, you need to perform against the forecast. But inherent in developing the forecast will force you to get a lot more granular and deeper and thorough understanding of where your business is today and where it's going. And if you're doing over a million bucks a year, that's in, that's 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 so significantly impactful for you and your team. Mm. Wow. And, and how you approach that, you know, from me being a student is you just became a surgeon and and you just 100%. and you just really found the heartbeat of that company. And one part and I'm so curious, this has been a challenge I've seen in business that operate that operational component where you talked about like softwares connecting all those dots, almost like the the wires of the whole business. Yeah. Exactly. What, what's your advice on on approaching that for for business? Obviously, once again, it comes down to the stage businesses are at. But maybe yeah. for let's talk about a million dollar business, what they should be, yeah. what should they be looking at in, in operational department? Hundred percent. And, and you're right. Operations are put in a similar category to finance in terms of stage. It becomes more important. Let's say a million bucks, couple million bucks plus. Um. Why? Because prior to that, focus on building something people love and focus on getting it into the hands of people through sales and marketing. You're driving revenue, you're driving cash through the door. But it will become you, your business will get to a point, usually million, two million, three million, whatever it is, where the operational complexity is such that we do down need to put a focus on the operational infrastructure of the business. Operations is all about a few things. Firstly, it's how well do each of the other functions talk to each other? So what will often happen is if you've got a business that's doing 1.5, 2.5, 3.5 mil, and they might have a couple of people in marketing, a couple of people in sales. Marketing is saying on a monthly basis they're generating 800 leads. Sales are probably saying on a monthly basis they're getting 600 leads. And so just from marketing to sales, just in these two first two pillars, there's often a uh, degradation of volume just due to handover. Right now, now that's an operational issue. It's what CRM are we using? How, what's the flow through that's occurring? What's the tech that we're using and how we trained our people to ensure that the leads that we generate, all of them do make it to sales, right? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so the first element of operation is how well do each of the functions right across the six elements, how, how well do they each speak to each other? Um, the second thing is that's probably, well, that's definitely going to be achieved through technology, right? 
there's a term here which I often use. I don't love. It's called enterprise resource planning, which is essentially looking at because it sounds a bit corporate for me, but but it, but it, I think it encapsulates exactly what we're doing. Looking at your business end to end and going, uh, what is required from a technology standpoint to underpin everything we're doing so that it happens as seamlessly as possible. Mm. And then the third element of, of operations is processes, right? Which which uh, is not a sexy word with regards, particularly for entrepreneurs, right? Processes are kind of like financial forecasts. You only become excited by them after you felt the pain of not having them for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, then, and then, you know, you might have some of your team start to build processes. Mm-hmm. Some people start to use them. Everybody starts to use them. And you're like, ah, oh, okay, now it's working better. Then you fall in love with processes once you felt the benefit of them. Um, and so, yeah, pr- processes and policies are, are incredibly important as, as an organization grows up. Oh, thank you for that that knowledge. I, I was curious your viewpoint on that. Leads me to something else that you brought up that I was curious about was you talked about it after the pillars was the sixth one about people. And then you said it's about culture, vision, and values. I'm somebody who totally believes in that, and it's a vital part of an organization. How do you approach that in the entourage? How do you guys approach that department? Well, from a vision, mission, values perspective, if we just start there, I mean, for me, you know, back in probably 2012, 2013, what I was, I went on a bit of a obsessive um, research uh, war path, I suppose. What, what I was trying to identify was, what, what truly differentiated like great companies from companies that look like everybody else? And what I got down to is not, it's not their marketing, it's not their slogans, it's not what they say they are. What differentiates truly great companies is their DNA. It's, it's who they are and it can't be fake. And so then I was like, okay, well, if, if it's, if it, if, if, if who a company is, is really just inherent in their DNA, how do you better define DNA? And my best attempt at that was vision, mission, values. Vision is what's the impact we want to make? And I don't mean philanthropy. I mean the business. Mm. What's the impact that the business can make to other people's lives or the environment or the planet or whatever it might be? The impact it can make to someone or something else other than us over the next 10, 20, 30 years that's meaningful that we care about. Mm. Mission is what do we do every day in order to get there? And values are what are the principles that govern and guide who we want to be along the way uh, such that when we arrive, we arrive ourselves. Mm. We arrive still being ourselves. We haven't lost ourselves along the way. Um, And so when you define your vision, mission and values, absolutely everything you do should flow from what your vision, mission, and values are, who you recruit, mm. how you market, how you sell, the products you develop, the products you don't develop, your customer journey, um, the, some of the financial decisions you make, how you lead and manage people, ep, ep, hire, fire, promote, everything you do should stem from your vision, mission, and values. And so at the Entourage, our vision is to move the world forward through entrepreneurship. Our mission, so that's, that's, that's the ultimate impact we want to make. We want to help move the world forward through entrepreneurship. Our mission is to give entrepreneurs everything they need to build great companies and live meaningful lives. 
And so on a day-to-day basis, me and everybody else in the organization, we can ask ourselves, is what we're doing right now enabling us to do that? Because we know if we do that every day, we'll achieve the vision. And then our values, we've got seven values that are super meaningful and, and, and really unique to who we are that really capture our, our DNA and our essence that really communicate what do we stand for, what do we stand against, what's okay here at the Entourage, what's not okay here at the Entourage, and what do we expect of um, you know, everybody on a daily basis. And so everything we do comes back to vision, mission, values. And then vision, mission, values really needs to come to life through management cadences and leadership principles. Um, and so we do things on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis that ingrain us to bring us back to, uh, you know, how are we doing next to our vision, mission, values? How are we doing next to our strategic plan? Um, how is each person in the organization upholding and living the values? Um, which is which is where the rubber hits the road in terms of structurally building a culture that uh, is self-ingrained regardless of whether the founder is in the building or not. Mm, that's strong. You know, that's so that's like that's like such a root strong like a tree where you, yeah. you're growing something so foundational that it can sprout up in any way, but the foundation is there and it's going to stay for as many years as the foundation can keep it. That's 100%. so, that's so powerful. 100%. How many employees are you, do you guys have now? I've got about 40 in Sydney and 30 in Manila in the Philippines. That's beautiful. And so right now you're offering programs that people could subscribe to and go through your different teachings or do you do a, like a whole hold people's hand and they have a specific person to, I guess, consult them on their business when they enter your, your program? It's, it's really both. It's, um, you know, everything we do through the entourage, it's like if you were to envisage uh, a coaching and training institution or any education institution around the world, and you were to go, what, what do people really actually genuinely need mm-hmm. in order to become the best version of themselves and uh, in order to create visions and strategic plans, in order to perform to them, in order to have the support um, they need, you know, when they're falling behind target or, 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 or how do they keep, keep the momentum or keep tilting the needle up when they're performing above target? You know, what to everything that somebody needs to become an exceptional human being and a great entrepreneur? And the answer to that is everything... That, that was the guiding question mm-hmm. and everything that's in the entourage is, is, is in response to that. And so, uh, you know, we've got three, three layers, essentially our, our kind of top layer is our elevate program, which is, um, exclusively for seven and eight figure business owners, mm-hmm. uh, where you have a business coach, you have a team of business coaches behind your business coach. And so that's somebody that's keeping, that's, that's not only helping you develop your three year North star, your 12 month roadmap, and, and helping you achieve, you know, uh, your performance each month. Uh, you've then got access to 32 different experts that are doing what they do every day. And so that might be Facebook experts, Google experts, recruitment experts, legal experts, accounting experts. There's nobody that you could want or need in business that you don't get access to through our yeah. ecosystem. Uh, we then do about 40 or 50 workshops each year. And, and, and they are, you know, deep specifics in, in, inside each of the six elements. And so generally a member uh, might come to sort of four, five, six workshops a year to train them and their team. 
Mm. And so essentially our members just choose the workshops they want to come to and come to the ones that are most pertinent to them. And we don't let them come to the ones that aren't pertinent. Well, they could come to all of them if they want, but uh, we often encourage them to come to the ones that are most meaningful because it's all about application and implementation. Um, and then they've got a community. They've got a community of peers. Uh, you know, right now there's $550 million in annualized revenue in the Elevate body. And so imagine if you're a seven and eight figure business owner, imagine living your life surrounded by other seven and eight figure business owners that are experiencing similar challenges at a similar stage with similar goals and similar mm. lifestyle for you. And so you can't step into an environment like that without experiencing a huge surge of growth in yourself and in every area of your business. You just, you can't do it, right? And so that's Elevate. And then we do a similar thing in an Accelerate program, which is um, business owners doing six figures. So anyone from 100K to a mil. And then we've got the fast track, which is for people doing, uh, they're just starting out doing under 100K. And so generally what happens is people start at whatever level they're at and, and by, you know, driving their own success and moving through uh, whatever program they started, typically they extend into Accelerate and then ascend into Elevate uh, as they, as they, um, as they go up the growth curve. Oh man, that's so cool. So you're really, you're helping business owners really scale their businesses by getting the support that they need through your teachings and it's it's the coaching it's the answers it's the advisory it's the experts it's the support it's the challenge it's the peer group it's again it's everything that human being could want or need wow. in order to to grow as a human and as an entrepreneur uh is is what's captured inside of what we do oh, man. yeah we're serious about it. We're very, very serious about it. <laughs> no, because when you have a network that big and, you know, a successful track record like yourself, you know, I consider you like a celebrity. And and because of you're doing, you're taking a, a huge leadership role to, to make a huge impact on people's lives like this. Do you guys create like an incentive performance-based approach to your business? Or is it more just... These are the these are the uh, the investment into the business, and we're here to help you. Or do you like partner with all the companies? Right, uh, very good question. So, uh, generally speaking, we're a business coaching and training institution. Um, we do have an investment arm, but we have it hasn't been a focus for <clears throat> probably four or five years now, mm. and so. I mean, that might be something that I bring back in a couple of years' time. We've just got some other things that are kind of higher up on the priorities list, and I'm a big believer in focus. Mm -hmm. uh, so as it stands, not really. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but, it, but I mean, what, what I think we'll introduce, uh, sort of make a greater priority in the coming years is uh, we'll have a pool of capital there, and, mm -hmm. and when we identify a company that has a high growth potential, uh, really good founders, <clears throat> really strong product market fit, really strong, strong proof of concept, probably profitable, um, and they're seeking capital, we'll have capital there that we can, which, which we already do. So if, if it happened on a reactive basis, then we do it, but uh, we'll, we'll probably do it slightly more proactively in a couple of years' time. Oh, thank you for telling me that. I, I'm just so curious because, you know, you have such opportunity you know, and you have such amazing people in front of you. I guess you could decide if you want to really support them if need be. My my, not last question on this subject, but I want to just ask you this question because I went through a spiritual retreat. I worked with Ryan Blair, who he mentored Gerard Adams. 
And they're all talking about that word spirituality. And you pretty much touched on it when we talk, you talked about your core values, but like people finding the best versions of themselves within organization through divinity or some type of alignment of just realizing life is short. Do you add that into your business environment now? Yeah, I mean, what I find is that the further an entrepreneur goes up the growth curve, the more they kind of take the blinkers off and start to focus on themselves, their consciousness, their connection with themselves, others, and, and, and the universe or, or their God, whatever that might mean to them. Um, and so it's a huge part of what we do. I mean, it, it's a huge part of who I am, which 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 is probably a large influence on it being a huge part of what we do at The Entourage. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we do a lot of... Uh, consciousness trainings, meditations, yogas, yoga retreats, um, uh, wow. developing, helping people develop a conscious vision for their lives more holistically than than just looking at business. Um, you know, I think that <clears throat> I think that entrepreneurs are really good at getting addicted to fuels that don't serve them. Meaning, you know, as, as entrepreneurs. Often the undeveloped entrepreneur, the, the entrepreneur that get to develop their consciousness is, is, is living from a state of like angst, anxiety, stress, pressure, grr, grit. And, and it's this grind, right? I hate that word grind. It's, it's, it's this grind. Mm. And, um, and, and often when you speak to an entrepreneur who's at that stage of their um, kind of evolution, they think they need those fuels in order to be productive. It's like, oh, well, if, I, if I wasn't stressed or if I wasn't anxious, wouldn't I just like not get out of bed and wouldn't I not work as hard? And the answer is, well, it depends whether you have a vision for your life and your business uh, that is greater than your current reality that could pull you forward and, and you, could, you could be driven by uh, inspiration and compassion and joy and, and love of what you do. Mm. Um, and so... A huge part of, I think the first step in spirituality is about helping entrepreneurs become aware of their inner state of being, mm. right? Their inner state of what fuel are you using to get to your goals? Because we, we live in a world, particularly entrepreneurs, that, that where we make the external supreme. It's about the money and the car and the relationship that looks good on Instagram and having the big house and all these sorts of things. Now, I think all of those things are great. I think, I think having a a house that you love and a car that you love and a relationship that fuels you in a positive way uh, and having clothes, whatever it is, they're all really, really great pursuits. My question is what fuel are you using to get there? Mm. And if we can help you tap into, you know, if rather than living from anger and angst and anxiety, if you lived from compassion, joy, creativity, science tells us you'll be smarter. Science tells us you'll be more productive. Science mm. tells us you'll actually get to your goals quicker. And when you arrive, you won't be exhausted and burned out uh, because you were grinding. Uh, you'll be fulfilled and whole, right? And so my invitation from a spiritual perspective to, to any human being is come back to self, focus on developing a really um, uh, positive and constructive inner state of being and create your life then from the inside out. Yeah, it's it's so true because I, I've realized when you operate on that frequency and that type of almost leading with your heart, serving others, 
realizing it's way bigger than you having that larger purpose in that abundance it, it seems to flow so much like you enjoy life more and in the, in yeah. the process of your accomplishments from we were speaking about abundance and the mentality and i totally align with you and it reminded me of something of you quoted in your book your first book that you written <clears throat> which was called unprofessional was that correct Correct. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Now he's good. All right, your 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 first book that you wrote on unpredict uh, <laughs> your first your first book that you wrote on professional, you put to be unprofessional is to not be disrespectful. It is not to be reckless or lazy. It is not to be unpunctual or badly presenting or poorly spoken. To be unprofessional is to be real, and that really resonated with me because. We spoke about it earlier in this conversation, but you really stand for teaching the entrepreneur to speak their truth, step into their light, and be real. What was that experience right in that book, and, and where what was your message with all that? So uh, I called my book, my first book, Unprofessional, because um, what became obvious to me from, let's say, my first eight or nine years in business was a large part of what disconnects business owners from themselves, from their teams, from their customers and from their market is this need to be professional. It's this need to use the right jargon and say the right things and, and, and this kind of need to be corporate almost. Mm -hmm. And what I identified is that, you know, from working with so many of the, the most iconic entrepreneurs of our time, is that it, 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 it was obvious to me that the people that were most successful in business are the people that were the most real. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's for a few reasons. Firstly, when you bring your true self into business, you're significantly more creative, more intelligent, you're smarter, you're more genuine, and that resonates. That resonance starts with you, by the way. So, so, so you're more on path, you're more on purpose. It resonates with your team. You're more able to connect with and lead from an authentic place. It connects more with your customers, right? We live in an age where people crave real. And so when you come across a business and, and individuals <clears throat> that are truly authentic, that resonates, that stands out, and it resonates with your market for the same reason. Mm. And so Unprofessional was a call to drop the mask and tap into the true you and lead in your personal life and in your business life from that space. Mm. And the paragraph that you just read out was just me clarifying exactly what it is and isn't. What I, By unprofessional, I don't mean you arrive late and you dress sloppy and you talk sloppy. I don't, that's kind of like, that's kind of like the negative side of unprofessional, right? Of the, of the, of the definition of the word. The, the good side of the positive or constructive side of the word for me is, is, is somebody that, that brings the, their whole selves into business. Mm. That may sometimes be construed as being unprofessional by others, uh, but actually views that as a compliment because it's an indicator that they're being real. Um, you know, Branson, Richard Branson says one of the most, uh, one of the greatest compliments he ever got was that Virgin were the most unprofessional, professional organization that this particular person had ever worked with. And so I was just trying to capture that essence of irreverence and authenticity. 
I love that. And I was reading, so you wrote that book in 2014 and you were a best-selling author. And then you wrote another book two years later called Unwritten. And I saw a quote from there that I liked where it mentioned about like entrepreneurship is like mirroring life and stuff about Mm. that. It, It was like, let me read. It said, both are creation, creating ourselves, reimagining the future, and in a very real sense, building the world around us. I love that mm. too. It, it was just so, mm. what What led you to write that book? No pun intended. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what led me to write Unwritten? So, I was in Rome, and I was looking up at the roof of the Sistine Chapel, which Michelangelo painted in about 1505, 1515. It's about 500 years ago. And uh, I had a a tour guide who was touring myself and my partner at the time. And he was was explaining to us some of the meanings that were hidden in the painting on the roof. And through him telling the story about Michelangelo and some of these embedded meanings that he had sort of hidden in the paintings on the roof of the Sistine Chapel, I was able to identify super quick that like Michelangelo was a highly independent thinker. He was anti-religion. He was very spiritual. He was so connected to his work. He viewed it such as an extension of himself that he could not, he was physically incapable of producing work that wasn't an expression of who he was, even when he was painting the roof of the Sistine Chapel, which is a building that's incredibly significant to the Catholic Church and the Pope. Um, And... He was, he, was, he was a rebel. He, he was an outlier. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, that's just like Einstein, who I had researched slightly before that. And Einstein was a physicist, you know, in, in the early 1900s. And then I thought, well, he's just like Oprah Winfrey, who's, you know, uh, one of the most powerful human beings and entrepreneurs on the planet today. And then I thought, well, that sort of triangulates back to the same principles that Steve Jobs brought to his life in his business. And I just started to triangulate these 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 principles and these philosophies and these characteristics that drove people that had a larger than life legacy all seem to be the same. Different professions, different eras, different mm. periods of time, different continents, different countries, different genders. Uh, they see there seem to be a kind of central archetype of greatness, and there seem to be a, a, a central archetype of 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 living a life that created a larger than life legacy and so unwritten captures uh you know i don't know how many maybe 12 13 14 different stories of 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 these kinds of icons and draws what's the lesson uh what's the core kind of lesson or theme we can take from their life that contributes to that archetype wow so from there you decided to write the book to teach people Correct. Yeah, I decided to write the book when I was in Rome because I was like, yeah, I, I just thought there, there were so many characteristics that Michelangelo has in common with Steve Jobs. Mm. You know, Michelangelo was a sculptor turned painter 500 years ago in fucking Rome. Wow. And Steve Jobs is a technologist in Silicon Valley <laughs> in the early 2000s. And they're so similar. 
and they're similar to J.K. Rowling, who's you know the the author of the Harry Potter books, who's credited with doing more for childhood literacy than any other person in history. And they're similar to Oprah Winfrey. And and the, the, the commonalities between all of them were so stark and so obvious for me, and I felt like nobody had captured all, all of these different stories in a way that kind of outlined this mosaic and this archetype of greatness. Mm. And so that's why I called it Unwritten, because it was about... I mean, the, the stories of these people have been told, but not in that way. Mm. And so uh, that's that's what it was about. That's beautiful. And, and the last two subjects I wanna I wanna ask you. I, I could talk to you for hours, and I appreciate your time, Jack. <laughs> is <laughs> one is your podcast because you're, you're on on uh, ours. And I call it ours because I feel like that's how I wanted to create this, just for people. And 100%. and I see that your podcast. You know, you've done over 160 episodes. Ironically, I think I was looking back. Your first episode was on March 17, 2016, but you put on March 10th, you put out like 10 videos in one day. What's your right. take on on why you do a podcast? And and he says, master business is it elevate your life, master your business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, what are you doing with that? And is that just for marketing purposes? Um, I think my whole existence is about um, experiencing life to the fullest and developing myself the best way I know how and, and doing everything I can to spread the, my message around that journey. And so I'm, I'm not really attached to any channel, to be honest. It's more mm. just about how do I best disseminate my message and, and broadcast what I've got to say in the most meaningful way. I mean, from a tactical and practical standpoint, podcasts are a, a an incredibly high-growth uh, category, right? Because mm. more and more people want to listen because uh, they can listen in the car or at the gym or while they walk, as opposed to if you're reading or watching, you kind of need to be dedicated to that primary task. Whereas if you're listening, you can do it as a secondary task. And so podcasts are undoubtedly becoming incredibly popular over the last 10 years. Uh, and, and still, it, that's going to be increasingly true going going into the future as well. And so it's, it's an incredibly meaningful channel. Why do I do it? Uh, because I couldn't not. That's beautiful. And and it just shows a testament of what you're doing for people. And, and I really respect you and for what you're doing. And I think that leads to like that legacy and and the greatness that that you're going for is is that pretty much in essence your legacy is to lay down this foundation for people to learn and to elevate their life and business forever yeah i mean i i think the most meaningful thing we can achieve on the planet over the next couple hundred years is is to elevate human consciousness Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that um Conscious individuals don't fight each other, particularly violently. Uh, Conscious individuals don't rape and pillage the environment or the planet on which they exist. Uh, Conscious individuals don't rob and steal from one another. Uh, Conscious individuals don't um, treat, uh, you know, certain genders um, inferior to other genders. Um conscious individuals become conscious families become conscious tribes communities towns cities states countries globe uh you know a conscious planet wouldn't have so many divides between it and and so i think 
you know, I think I think as as humanity, we've got you know probably a few centuries to 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 get to a point that I would deem to be uh, you know constructive. But um, I mean that 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 that's the most important job on the planet right now is is, is each of us elevating our consciousness, and so everything I do is 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 to try and help enable that to occur one individual at a time. And, and and that's that's going to be incredible to watch you continue to do that in these next decades. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to support you and and find a way to connect dots because that that ideology is is the people I want to be around. And and that mm-hmm. leads me to to just knowing how a high performing person in life like yourself, you know, uh, who've acquired substantial wealth through through hard work and and dedication and commitment. How do you keep your mindset this strong? And what do you do to like physically and, and mentally to keep it sharp and keep this approach? I think there's a few things there. I, I think I think the basics are highly, highly, highly underrated. Like my system is eat well and eat less of the stuff that poisons you, sugar gluten, alcohol, right? Exercise, move, uh, and and meditate and, and 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 do things that connect you to yourself. So that's meditation, journaling, yoga, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, I think that can take you about ninety percent of the way there. And I, and I think that's a really good place for so many people to start. If you just if you right now, if you decided over the next 30 days, you were only going to eat and drink things that nourished you as opposed to things that poisoned you, mm. your entire life would change because your entire self would change. Mm. If you lay it on top of that, if you just exercise four or five times a week, well, your entire life just changed again. If you lay it on top of that meditation and yoga, well, then in 60 days, you're an entirely different person. So... I think I, th- I think that's that's the good place to start. I think the other thing is understand that your personal rituals and priorities will change and evolve over time. And so, you know, for me, probably ten years ago, I was a lot more adrenaline and kind of high activity focused. Whereas now, I I, I train and exercise probably more than ever, but I'm but I'm probably a bit more grounded and and so i meditate a bit more and uh, well i meditate a lot more uh i do more yoga and all that sort of stuff and so develop the rituals that work for you and you could you can you can get most of those rituals from just understanding the core basics and then going how do i want to and best apply this in my life mm-hmm. and then understand that each quarter each year each couple of years whatever it is for you you'll get bored of your rituals you'll get bored of your routines create new ones that reflect who you are then but if you if you can always have some form of ritual and routine that enables you to stay connected to self, uh, and that enables you to stay healthy and pure of body, mind, and spirit, you'll you will be incredibly more powerful than you would be otherwise. And on that path that you just explained, I think it's so accurate because you won't fully understand your words until people do it and you feel mm-hmm. it and understand the importance of what you're saying. But sometimes always people ask, people ask this question is, am I happy? Am I fulfilled? And I know you have to look at it in each arena of your life, 
But what, what would you say to someone who's kind of asking those questions and like looking at that word, on, you know, while, while doing those things that you're saying and trying to find their path to success? Um, I would say focus on the daily practices that would bring about satisfaction and fulfillment rather than sitting around going, am I happy yet? Am I happy yet? Am I happy yet? Am I happy yet? Focus on the daily practices that might bring about satisfaction and fulfillment. And so it's the stuff we just spoke about, you know, eating well, training, exercising, meditating, yoga, um, as, as much as is practicable, right? Because no doubt there's people listening to this that are single parents, right? That are working 12 hours a day. And so for that individual, it might be, okay, get up 20 minutes earlier, meditate, do yoga for 10 minutes, meditate for 10 minutes, and that's it. And for, for others, it might be, yeah, it might have the luxury to dedicate an hour or two, you know, a few days a week. And so whatever it is for you, focus on implementing and doing the work and uh, have the fulfillment and the happiness that comes from that as a byproduct once you've built that and habitualized those routines. Thank you for that. And to, to really wrap up, I want to ask you this question because you have so much wisdom and you have so much experience, but did you have a lot of the mentors or people that you looked up to that to get this knowledge from what would what, what would you say to that word what's your take on it yeah oh, I, I, unquestionably i mean i 10 years ago i had more mentors than anyone else i knew i had like you talk about the six hours i had mentors in marketing i had mentors in sales i had mentors in product i had mentors in capital raising i had mentors in exit strategies i had mentors in management mentors in leadership mentors in recruitment uh, wow mentors in media like every, everything um <laughs> your relationship with mentorship changes and evolves as you do, mm. right? And so if you think about playing the piano, right, you start off by playing the absolute basics. And then you start by playing other people's music, right? And you play other people's music to to immerse yourself in, in what music is and to kind of learn the nuances of the music. And once you've done that for a period of time, you start to write your own songs, right? Now, when you start writing your own songs, you still have coaches and mentors, but you're probably looking up to the barks of the world. Uh, you're probably looking up to the Beethovens of the world, right, at that point. And so um, the same is true of business mentorship. My, my relationship with mentorship has, has changed in that today I, I write my own music. But as I'm writing my own music, meaning I don't have 10 mentors in different fields that I catch up with fortnightly anymore. I write my own music, but in, in doing so, uh, mentorship happens almost, you know, I've got a board of advisors um, in, in from, a, from a life coach and a spirituality and a, and a meditation and yoga perspective, I've got, I suppose, mentors in, in those fields. Um, but when we go into a different field, we, we engage people who are experts in those fields. If we're talking about business, we engage people in those fields as consultants or advisors, or, or, or you bring them on part of the team. Uh, and, and mentorship sort of tends to happen that way. So, yeah, mentorship is incredibly important regardless of what stage that you're at, but it will look different the further you go. 
I really, I really resonate with all that because it, I've learned from so many people along the way and I've had to invest a lot of money into learning from people. But at the, at the same time, everything, you know, you said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to use, I appreciate. So what's mm -hmm. next for you guys? What's next for the entourage? What, where's the vision going now um, for the next, where can we see you in the next 10 years? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you look around globally, I, I, I still don't think there's an obvious category leader in the field of business and entrepreneurship, coaching and training, right? You know, if, if we talk about soft drinks, you know, unfortunately, we all think about Coca-Cola. If you think about um, computers, we, we probably still think about Apple, right? There's a, there's a clear category leader. Uh, if you think about sportswear, we think about Nike. There's a clear category leader. As it pertains to a sort of central brand that enables people genuinely to start and build hugely successful companies. There's no obvious category leader in that space globally. And so I think that's uh, the next opportunity for us, the entourage. I mean, we've clearly attained that position here in Australia. But, you know, the, the next wave for us, the next five years is about uh, becoming the most impactful business coaching and training institution on the planet. I'm going to, I'm going to help you manifest that. And, and I'm going to say, you're going to bring it to, a, you're going to, you're going to bring it to the States and to, you know, this year on a, on a roaring level. And, you know, people like myself are definitely getting behind what you're doing because I know it's real. And I appreciate you coming on this show. I appreciate all your knowledge. And I just appreciate the opportunity the to really just have this conversation. So, what I would ask you to wrap the show up is any final tips of advice for somebody, they, whether it's an entrepreneur or just someone who wants to reach their goals and dreams, any final tips of advice from someone like you? I think the fundamental truth is that when, when the voice inside of your head is louder than the voices outside of your head, that's when you've begun to master your life. And so the more you can put yourself in the driver's seat and the more you can start to live your life from your own internal compass, uh, the more that will be reflected in the life that you create around you. Well, let that one sink in. Jack, I appreciate it once again. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to Millionaire Voices, episode number eight with Jack DeLosa. He is, once again, the founder of The Entourage, one of the largest entrepreneurships, networks, teachings, trainings, programs. I'm going to say this again, Jack, because I want to nail it and, and really let people understand. But make sure to follow Jack DeLosa. Where can they find you on social media and, and how can people find you? Instagram's best, just Jack DeLosa, J-A-C-K-D-E-L-O-S-A. Awesome. Make sure to follow him. We'll put all the links in the bio and all the stuff of the, the fancy technology. But thanks again, Jack. It, it, it was uh, awesome. it was an honor. But thanks, Danny. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, thanks so much, Delosa. Uh, Jack, talk soon. I'll send you an email.